I don't need a fan this time, so that's nice. <laughs> I don't have to be the sweaty girl. Now I might just be the cold girl. Okay. Uh, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I'm so thankful for all of you. Um, especially if I don't know you, um, and you've been coming to Ocean Hills, I'm grateful that you're here too. But for those of you who have been here a long time, and how I know well, thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna cry, I always do. Thank you, I love you guys so much. <laughs> All of you, I can see your faces because the lights are up. All of you, I love you guys so much. Thank you for making this God family what it is. Okay, all right. I'm just gonna go straight into the text. There's no preamble, this is a conclusion. So we're just gonna do it, all right? I'm just gonna see where this goes. Yeah. Okay. Enter by the narrow gate. Oh, this is Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, you know, if you're gonna get assigned to preach after Thanksgiving week, at least I got a real breezy one. <laughs> come on, come on. And this is a conclusion, right? So don't we all kind of hope that like Jesus is gonna be uh, like the John Lennon song? Like, they may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you join us and the world will live as one. Yeah. If you want to hear more of that, come to preschool worship next week. Right? We kind of hope he's going to do something like that, but he doesn't. Instead, we get the image of the narrow gate and the hard road, the tree and the fruit, and this startling image of someone getting rejected by Jesus. Hard, sad, right? Yeah. Um, so this might be obvious, but if you're not over-communicating, you're under-communicating. For those of you who have been on staff, that's my thing. Um, this might seem obvious, but part of my job, when I prepare to preach, when I come up here, part of the process is to understand the text in context what was Jesus communicating to the people in front of him? And then what does that message say to us? So in order to do that, uh, we learn a wide range of history and language sometimes, taking Greek, 
Uh, we learn anthropology and church history. And then we explore different ideas from different theologians and pastors and followers of Jesus who have come before us. And then I take, it, take that up against the things that I'm learning in seminary, the books that I'm reading, all that stuff. And then very, very humbly, I discern what ideas we discern, pastors, preachers, teachers, we discern what ideas we are going to perpetuate forward. Okay, so it is, it is my job to take all of that and decide what am I, for my own faith and my life with Jesus, am I going to allow to shape my ideas about who God is moving forward? And thus, ultimately, you are then shaped by that. So I want you to get a sense just right now, that's a weighty thing. I take that very seriously, so I want you to know that I've prepared well. I've got lots of things to say. Some of them are very historical, technical, all that. And then other things are more kind of hardy things. Okay, but I want you to know that there's a lot goes into this. And, and that's, I take great care in what I'm passing on to you. Okay. All right. Um, that's probably like you need to say it, you know? Sometimes it's just something I need to say. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the first section of this text. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I'll speak for myself here. I grew up um, in an evangelical setting, and I think one of the things we're really good at is looking at a text and being like, you're in and you're out. Anybody with me? Uh, no, no, you would never. Come on. Okay. Um, we're really good at kind of seeing, oh, that person's in, that person's out. And I don't want to ignore that, right? I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to deny that Jesus is differentiating between two paths. I'm not going to uh, argue here that uh, all paths lead to the same place. Um, I simply want to turn that volume down just a little bit so we can listen to what else is happening. Are we with? Yeah? Okay. This is also like just a brilliant image. It's so good. It's such a good image, such a good metaphor. It basically sums up the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount and arguably maybe the entire God story in these two verses. But in order to see that, we gotta connect some dots here. So uh, why the wide gate and the easy road? So we're gonna go back. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you might have to talk about um, this. So there might be some review, which is awesome if you've heard it, because then you can start connecting these dots in your head on your own, okay? But for those of you who aren't, we're gonna do it together. As some of you might remember a few weeks ago, the Jewish people were given the law, the Torah, for the purpose to align their hearts through obedience, their hearts would be aligned and they would live their purpose to reflect God's righteousness and justice in the world. They would live, they would be an example of what, it, what we should be living like. How were we created to live? Okay, it was for a purpose. And we defined righteousness as, little interaction, right relationship with? God, God. myself, and others. Each other, and? Tree, it's a creation, right. Right relationship with? <laughs> I should have taken drama. Um, right relationship with God, right? We feel, I'm trying to get this, okay. We feel known and loved by the higher power, the cosmic energy of the universe, whatever you want to call it, we crave that. We call, as Christians, we call it God because that's what God's word says, but we 
and or Lord, Yahweh, however you want to this, this peace, this crazy peace, because you know that the creator of the entire universe is interested in your goodness, is interested in, in, in seeing you flourish, okay? I don't, I don't even know if I've got the right words for it, but just try and get there. Uh, right relationship with ourselves. We see our intrinsic value. Um, we love ourselves. We're not insecure. We see um, the beauty in how God made us. We see our value intrinsically, not because of what we do. Each other. Uh, right relationship with each other. This is so much more than just like, high five all of you in this room. No. This is like humanity exists in mutual thriving. My decision to buy a shirt does not impact someone negatively across the world, right? We all want that to go away, right? How my consumerism, my ability to uh, perpetuate capitalism negatively impacts, it just does, negatively impacts someone else. We long for that not to be so, correct, right? So that's what, that's what God is talking about. That's what uh, we are created to live for every longing that you feel i'll get to that but yes okay so the torah was supposed to be the path to life and it would be good for a while right it'd be good for a while they'd be, they'd be uh living how god created them to live they'd be a reflection of who he is and then sooner or later they would uh, start worshiping other gods they would forget the poor among them um they excuse me um they would uh they would forget god's purposes they'd resist god's purposes and then bad things would happen, right? Enslavement in Egypt. Um, they had a bunch of corrupt rulers. They had to wander in the wilderness for some time. Uh, they, had to, they were exiled. And then the literal destruction of the temple, which was a really big deal. We can go into that another time. It was a big deal. So the Torah, instead of leading to life, obeying the Torah became a burden because they couldn't keep the law, no matter how they tried. It was not serving its purpose to realign their hearts, okay? So over time, religious leaders started to interpret and apply the law in ways that made it easier to follow. Uh, very human thing to do. Uh, and so what they would do is they would restrict commandments and extend permissions. We talked about this a little while ago. So what they would do is they'd say, don't murder, but anything outside of murder, or as long as you don't murder, as long as you don't murder, you're good, right? Well, that's kind of problematic. There's a lot of things other than murder that are pretty bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so mm, murder, just murder. That's all that they cared about. And then it was like extinct permission. So let's say the law said that uh, someone could divorce um, their wife um, for reasons of adultery. Well, they extended those permissions to allow more, uh, you could get divorced for more reasons legally, like by the law. Um, and so they had created uh, more, they, basically they had widened, they had widened their path of obedience. More behavior was allowed uh, under the umbrella of obedience. Does this make sense? Can you just, okay, fantastic. Great. Okay. Um, oh, it's kind of like uh, telling a preschooler, uh, don't color on the walls. And they're like, she didn't say the doors. <laughs> or, um, or another example would be like if I said to myself, 
cozy. You know, I think your body's telling you that one piece of cake is what you need. And then I cut myself a piece like the size of my face. Like, do we get it? It's not, you're missing, you're missing the point, right? Okay. So Jesus is saying in this conclusion, your religious systems have made the gate of obedience wide and the path easy. You've lost sight of the purpose of the law to align your hearts and help you to live in a way that reflects my righteousness and justice in the world. He says you've settled for easy obedience and shadow righteousness. He says, look where it's gotten you. In this moment, when Jesus is uh, preaching, teaching, uh, the Jews are occupied by Rome. And before that, the Greeks, and before that, the Persians, and before that, the Babylonians. So things aren't going well. This is not working out for them. Um, and then Jesus comes, and he shows up on this mountain, and he says... <laughs> he goes, you have made obedience too wide. You have made the way too easy. This is the way to life. Okay, he goes, yes, don't murder, but I want you to pay attention to the contempt in your heart. He says, yes, don't falsely swear, but I want you to speak with integrity. He says, yes, fast, but seek God and don't seek the attention of your neighbors. He says, yes, love your neighbors, but also love your enemies. This narrow way, this trajectory towards life is, it's narrow. It's inherently narrow. It's only in true righteousness, whole and restored right relationship that we will find life in the here and now and the not yet. And I'll get to why this makes perfect sense, okay? So at the end of his sermon, Jesus says, enter the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. He's reminding them where they have been, where they are and where he wants to take them to life. All right, so let's read the, the next part. Okay. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, luckily this is pretty straightforward, <laughs> so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, but there is one thing I would uh, like to point out. So uh, when I was studying and listening, most of the stuff that I read and heard was like, beware of the voices of the world. <laughs> and of course, we need to be intentional about how we listen to what is around us, of course, but Jesus uses the word sheep. She beware of sheep in wool, uh, in, beware of sheep, or let me see, I just want to make sure I read it right, right? Read the word of God right, cozy. Okay, welcome, or you, beware, okay, we're gonna start over. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like sheep. There we go. We're going to look like sheep. In Matthew and in the Old Testament, the sheep are uh, symbolic of us, God's people. Okay? So these false prophets are going to look like followers of Jesus. He's saying within your ranks. I don't like military language. Sorry about that. Within your group. <laughs> well, you can always correct yourself. Within your group, within people who are calling themselves followers of Jesus, you need to pay attention to the voices that you're listening to. You need to look at the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. There's more. Right? Is the fruit. Is what they're producing my, what I want. Righteousness, right? So, maybe we need to be a little bit better about discerning the voices who call themselves Christian uh, and be less concerned. I mean, we still have to be concerned. Maybe, how about this? Let's apply the same fervor of discerning the voices out there to in here. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yes. Okay, yes. great. Yes. Okay. I think if we did that, the American church would look a little different. And that's all I'll say. Okay. All right. Where are we at? Okay. Next section. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm just going to use this opportunity to take a little drink of water. And you can prepare yourselves for the next section. Because it's a doozy. All right. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oof. Okay, that one makes us a little squirmy. Uh, and rightfully so. It's quite an, uh, a way to end a sermon. Um, because, and Jesus is addressing what kind of a person is going to enter into the kingdom of God. And he's going to, uh, I think it's helpful if we start to, um, clarify what does he mean by will of God? I think that's helpful. And then what is the nature of a worker of lawlessness? Okay. That's going to help us understand what's going on. So, um, God, the kingdom of heaven where this righteousness, um, this true righteousness, this right relationship and justice is permeating. It's all that exists. Everything is perfect. Right relationship. Restoring us back to right relationship, first and foremost with God, ourselves, each other, and creation. Kingdom of God. The entire story, the entire biblical story and God's story is always moving in that direction. It's always moving towards the kingdom of God. Okay? So, when, when we think about uh, God's will, it, it is. It is it is that it will one day be uh, fully righteous, that we will be restored back to the kingdom of heaven, and, um, and that everything will be as it should be. So everything from the moment of uh, moment in the garden, when uh, humans go their own way, they stop trusting God, and they start living life how they want to live it, through the work of Jesus, all the way up until now, 
the entire story of God, all of God's um, action in the human story is all going to that place. I've really belabored that, so hopefully you get it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the will of God summed up. Okay, so if you're wondering what's the will of God for my life, which one is pretty individualistic, so maybe just, um, and two, uh, all it is is participate. Be restored yourself and participate in that movement. And you got it. That's the will of God. Participate in it. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> so now we really want to know what makes a worker of lawlessness. That poor person. Okay. So somewhere along the line in my experience with church um, and maybe hearing sermons in my earlier life, when I hear worker of lawlessness, my gut reaction is to think, Someone who is out of the biblical moral code or who someone is um, out of like right doctrine, who's out of wrong, and wrong, wrong thinking. So, uh, and so, and I don't know where that came from, but that's like my gut reaction. So I kind of went with that and maybe that's kind of where you guys are at too. Um, so that's kind of like hook my gut reaction. It's like the person who gets excommunicated um, from the church. Uh, for, I don't know, some kind of moral failure or, um, or unconventional thinking, okay? That's kind of what I get. And I think that's how it's been used. I think that's how, I think it, I think this has been used to scare people. Of like, if you're not within our right thinking and with, with, not within our right moral code, like, this might happen to you. He might be like, bye, okay? I wonder if this verse was used to scare people who got divorced, questioned seventh-day creation, didn't practice infant baptism, promoted women pastors, or just found a new way to talk about God. I think this is used that way. It has been, maybe still now, probably. Um, it kind of freaks us out, right? Wait, I could be like doing things in Jesus's name and then I get to meet him and he's like, new kingdom, who this? You know, like, I don't know you. Um, so, uh, so we end up getting really intense about our moral codes and our right thinking to not piss off God so he doesn't reject us. But I don't think that's actually the most helpful thing. I don't think that's the most helpful way to approach this text. So what, if someone can be doing things in Jesus' name, what makes them a worker of lawlessness? So, a law is born out of purpose, right? Uh, we have the blood alcohol law uh, because we don't want drunk drivers on the road, because we don't want ourselves and others to be put in danger. That law is born out of a purpose, okay? And it makes us really mad when the law doesn't actually serve the purpose, right? So, most, same thing with Moses, Moses' law. The Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us, for the purpose, for us to rest on the seventh day. For the purpose of making us remember our limits and need for God. So law is always born out of a purpose. And we know the purpose of the law, is, like our law, our God's law, is to align our hearts, transform them, and help us reflect God's righteousness and justice to the world and for us too to live as we were created to live it's not just like make the world a better place 
This is like, be restored. Be, be restored back to who you were created to be. Okay? So, if the whole purpose of God's law is to transform and create righteous and just community, a worker of lawlessness resists that. Okay? So above specific obedience to the law, above perfect theology or right action, Jesus is saying, if you are doing things in my name, but you are not doing my will of restoration and righteousness, then you have got it wrong. Okay? Um, this uh, Bible commentary hanger, he, he puts it like this. Uh, the essence of discipleship and participation, the essence of discipleship and participation in the kingdom is found not in word, not in religiosity, nor even performances of spectacular deed in the name of Jesus, but only in the manifestation of true righteousness. This is the narrowness. This is the narrowness of the road. It is true righteousness, and that is what will lead to life. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue later that this is what we want, you guys. It's not like he's tricking us and being like, you gotta go through the little thing. It's like, no, we long for this. We long for righteousness, okay? So in this conclusion, Jesus is pointing back. Don't forget about what I said about all of those religious acts. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about fasting, and he talks about giving to the needy. He talks about praying, and he, and he says, like, none of that matters unless you're doing it with the right heart. Okay? And I wonder if it could be said that the person who's doing religious things without wanting to see the kingdom flourish, without being interested in righteousness, is not even really looking for the kingdom of God that Jesus is offering. So it kind of makes perfect sense when this person who's had no interest in the kingdom up until this, uh-oh, did it go off? Is it off? Off. Oh, it's off. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. What about my friends in the back or friends who are hard of hearing? Can you hear me? Okay, I need my, okay, thanks, Chase. I'm just super not good at the handheld one, but we're going to do it anyways. All right, guys. Do you guys hear that? Oh, man. Okay. Is, that is this working? Nope. 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 Adam, he's working on it. Okay. There it is. There it is. Okay. You got it. Okay. Oh, sure. Hello? Oh. Is this one working? No. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. I got this. I got this. Okay, where were we? Do, do, do. We long for the narrow. Oh, we super long for the narrow. Oh, they don't expect that kingdom. So if someone's doing the work of, uh, like, doing religious things, and they're not actually seeking the kingdom, they don't want to see God's kingdom flourish in their life and in the world, they're not looking for the kingdom that Jesus is offering. So it makes perfect sense when they get there and Jesus is like, this is the kingdom. And he's like, this isn't what you were looking for. Bye. I don't know you. Does that, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of resonates a little bit, I hope. Yep. Okay. I lost my place. Sorry, guys. I got thrown off by the mic thing. Okay. Okay. All right. Your mic is working now. It is? Okay. I just lost my spot. That's all. Oh, this is working! Yeah. Oh! <laughs>
Yay. Woo. This is just a real informal thing right now. I just feel like they're my people. Yeah. Oh man, you guys. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, actually, so that's kind of what I had to say about the text. So uh, my hope is that that was like a practice of what it is to understand a text, to take in the larger uh, part of God's word and kind of figure things out from there, to take the larger part of God's word and figure out a smaller piece of text in context. So that was like practice um, uh, for all of us. And now I wouldn't be a pastor if I didn't have some kind of like obligation. Um, so like what would I even be doing up here? Uh, the, and the law has purpose. It all has purpose. And the purpose is for righteousness and to be restored. And that's what I want for you. So uh, if I were to title this application section, I would title it, You've Got Choices. Okay? So when I was 21, I got my heart broken by my college boyfriend. I know, Sam. And I had a super mature response. I said, fine. If you don't want me, I don't want you. And I'm going to have the best life without you. <laughs> And I was cool for a second. I would like go to LA and see bands on weeknights. I went to Coachella before Instagram ruined it. I had a Vespa and like a sparkly helmet. I had like cute anthropology dresses. On the outside, I was like, this is great. I live in Santa Barbara. I work for a church. I work with preschoolers. This is awesome. Uh, and then I was, became 27. And I was like, oh, I'm really lonely. <laughs> I'm really lonely. I kind of feel alone and isolated. And I had been building kind of this fortress around myself. And like, look at all my pretty things and my beautiful whatever. Um, and my fun life. And I was like, not really, yeah, I just felt really alone and isolated. And I was bitter. And those of you who knew me or have, who know me, who know me a long time, you know that there's a difference between who I am now and who I was at 25. Um, I hope. <laughs> Lila? <laughs> so, and it wasn't like I didn't have friends. Like, I had tons of friends. I worked here for five years. I had an amazing community. Um, I had awesome roommates. I loved relationally. My life had lots of opportunity for connection. Uh, but I just felt disconnected. And then, maybe some of you remember this moment in your life. I watched Brene Brown's video on vulnerability, and I was like, oh, I'm not vulnerable at all. Um, and you might think I'm being vulnerable now, I'm not. I'm okay with you knowing this, so don't think I'm healed. Um, this is a ruse. Um, so I had a choice. I could do nothing, and I could continue down the trajectory that this was gonna take me, or I could make a choice and look inward. And it wasn't just one choice, like I gotta look inward. It was a lot of choices. The choice to go to counseling, the choice to find a counselor, the choice, the choice to keep showing up, the choice to keep going to counseling when she challenged me to group therapy, the choice to tell my friends I didn't think I was vulnerable and I needed to work on it, didn't, turns out they knew. Uh, <laughs> I needed to choose to try and be brave and be vulnerable. And it was really flipping hard. But I had to choose it. My non-choice would have been a choice. It would have been a trajectory. 
And so the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing his followers, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can continue down this path of half-hearted obedience, relying on shadow righteousness that has clearly led to destruction, or you can follow me. You can choose a new path, the path of true righteousness, the path that leads to life. And I kind of think this speaks to everyone. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to be like, yeah. Because I think we all feel the need to adjust our trajectories from this destruction to life. Okay? It just so happens that I'm here today because I believe that Jesus is the best way to do that. And here's why. Okay. No matter how hard I try, no matter how many years I go to therapy, no matter how much money I make, I made a lot more before I worked for a church. No matter how much of the world I see, no matter how much of my health, how many healthy routines I build into my life, no matter how much joy I find in my sweet child, no matter how many books I read, podcasts I listen to, or charitable organizations I serve and give to, I cannot live into the fullness of righteousness I long for. On my own, I cannot align my heart with God's heart for true righteousness and justice. I have tried. Those of you who have a little bit more years, you know, you're ahead. Still doesn't work when you're 75 or 85 or 95. No matter what I do, I cannot find this narrow gate. And if you think about it long enough, I can't be surprised by the narrow gate of true righteousness, because it is everything we long for. If you really think about it, I so badly want to feel connected to God, to be good with him, they, whatever you want to say, okay? I so badly want to feel like the God of the universe is in it with me and wants my good. I so badly, maybe you so badly, want to be in right relationship with yourself, right relationship with others, and humanity, and right relationship with creation. Take a second when you think about your deepest need, your, or longing, your deepest longing, the soul ache, the thing that keeps you up at night. I am like 99.999% sure that you can trace them back to one of these four relationships because it is how we were created. Jesus says, this is the way to life. And he knows he was there when life became a thing. In John 1, I thought I wrote it down. I didn't. John 1, through him, everything was made that is made, which is a funny way of saying it. He, everything, everything that was created was through him. He is the author of life. He knows what life is supposed to be. He knows what we were created for. And he so graciously tells us what it is. Now, we can't do it on our own, right? So, God intervened. They, the Trinity, God intervened. And Jesus, God in human form, walked among us. He walked among the earth. He lived the human experience. He embodied love and righteousness, and he found the gate, and he went through the gate, 
And now he's going, come on, follow me. Follow me to life. And by whatever mysterious power that love had in his death and resurrection is the same power that holds that gate open for us. The gate is narrow because the gate is Jesus himself. I didn't come up with that. It's himself. The gate is narrow because it's Jesus himself. And I believe his way leads to life. And he alone actually claims that he can give us a life that we cannot live ourselves. Out of all of the religious leaders, Jesus is the only one to claim to have the power to give us life, to put us on the path to life without us actually walking the path fully ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if that's hard because it feels, um, I think we like to use words exclusive. If that feels exclusive, that's okay. It's okay to struggle with this piece that we believe that Jesus is the one that holds it open. You can still follow Jesus and be like, oh, but I want it to be different. Okay, that's okay. Still follow Jesus. But no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, I think uh, that we all have choices. So I think this is one of the ways that um, uh, Christianity um, misreads this text, is it's too shallow. Um, I think that we actually, as Christians, have a lot of choices here. We need to still choose to follow Jesus. We still need to choose to follow him and, and do those little obediences. Um, has anyone seen awesome improv? Nobody? Improv? Uh, improv. Improv. Yes. Improv. Did I say it funny? Improv. Yeah. Really great improv. Bad improv? You might have seen really bad improv. Uh, I'm sorry, that was, that was bad for you. Bad improv is unfortunate. Um, but good improv is so good. It is like exciting, it's witty, it's smart, it's so fun. But what we don't see, and oh, and they make it look so easy, but what they don't, what you don't see is that all of the many hours of hard work and practice that it takes to learn the basic skills of improv, how to build on a narrative, how to know your place in a scene, how to uh, stay present in a scene, uh, how to be the yes and. And it takes hours and hours to trust that foundation of their skill. It's hard work, it takes discipline, it takes other people's support, it takes time, it takes failing and trying again. But over time, these skills build and it, then they get up on stage and it just like flows. And they totally, it's just so awesome to watch. And some of the best improv, uh, some of our favorite movie lines are actually improv and you don't even know because they're just like so natural. Like um, you're gonna need a bigger boat and Jaws or like, all right, all right, all right. No, it's just me. Uh, or I love lamp for some of my millennials. No, okay. Uh, but my favorite is um, from The Grinch. 
dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. Anyway, it was improv. Okay, I love the Grinch. It's an obsession. It's okay. I'm fine. Um, so, but that improv, it just like flows out of them. It feels so good. And that is kind of like what happens when we as followers of Jesus choose the little obediences over time. We choose to obey God in praying, in learning his character, in our language, our reactions, our time management, in our priorities, in our keeping of the Sabbath, in our relationships, in our consumption, in our integrity. These little obediences will align our hearts because Jesus gave us a new heart. So when, he, when we decide to follow Jesus, we get a new heart. And that is a heart that is capable of transformation in this direction towards life. And these little obediences can align our hearts. And one day, we will fully flow the kingdom of heaven. We get little glimpses now. And there's nothing better than flowing the kingdom of heaven. There just isn't. You cannot convince me of it. There's just nothing better. It's so, it's so good when, you just, when you're in a moment that you were created for. And you, some, some of you might find it in your job. Some of you might find it interacting with someone um, out, outside. Some of you might find it on a mountain, right? You've maybe experienced it like, oh, I am, I am enjoying God's creation. And it is blessing me, and I am blessing it, right? That, those moments, ooh, they're so good. That's what we were created for. But following Jesus, those little obediences... And the, the idea of following Jesus is not always so prescriptive as we want it, right? Because remember kind of what they did with the law? It's not so prescriptive. It's not about a set of morals or perfect theology. It's about saying yes and choosing to obey Jesus the best we can and keeping the kingdom of God in mind. So keep moving towards the kingdom of God in the little obediences. Yeah. I'm going to end with someone else's words, Bonhoeffer. But if we beheld Jesus Christ going on step by step before us, we shall not fall astray. But if we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of at him, we are already straying the path. For he himself is the way, the narrow way and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. What path will we choose? All right, I'm going to pray. Sorry, Casey, I didn't give much more time. Good God, thank you for your word. Um, I pray that the words that I spoke eloquently and not so uh, would be translated into the hearts of these people here, that by your spirit you would speak the words that they need to hear, uh, that they would see your goodness and your purposes for righteousness and justice in the world, and that you want to restore them to who you created them to be. I am grateful for this place. Uh, please help us stay attuned to you uh, in the next few weeks leading up to the celebration of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Ooh.